Aren't you glad that Jesus is yours? Because he has given himself to us. What an amazing time and what an amazing season it is that we live in as we rejoice uh, in this resurrection truth and this resurrection time. Um, You know, the the week after Easter is kind of an odd time uh, for a lot of people. Uh, I know a lot of preachers that feel like, well, it's the big letdown. I, I even know preachers that for years they just refuse to preach on the Sunday after Easter. And I am just the opposite. If I, if I can, if I can be here, I absolutely want to preach on the week after Easter. And here's the reason. What better time? Uh, we have just experienced the whole flow of truth. Uh, as we come through Holy Week, as we come out of Advent into Holy Week, as we come through uh, Good Friday and then into the Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate all of what really the victory of the Bible is all about. And it's an amazing time for us to, to dig in on that. So every, every year I'm kind of looking for a way that we would dig in on the truth of resurrection. So I'm beginning a series uh, that's called Same Power. Uh, And we're going to be grappling with engaging the power of resurrection. So let me explain with you uh, a little bit about how I came to that. Uh, There's a a phrase in the Bible that has always just just grabbed me. Uh, And I've I've actually preached whole conferences on this phrase at different times because I was asked to. And it's one of those things that you can plumb the depths and, and it's difficult to find all that is there. But it's this phrase in Philippians 3.10 that says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Uh, The Apostle Paul makes this declaration uh, partway through the third chapter of his letter to the Philippians. The New Living Translation uh, uh, phrases it just a little bit different, but I, I really love the way that the NLT says it. It says, I want to know Christ and experience, and I'll tell you why that's an important word, experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. As you read the scripture, you discover that there's no question that the the greatest power in the universe is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's an amazing thing, this power that happened. I mean, it is the power of creation brought to a different bearing point uh, in history. And so we find ourselves uh, wanting to understand that a little bit more. Scripture teaches us that that same power, in, in some measure, in some sense, in some way, is available to us. But how do we engage this power? And how do we access this power? How do we get a hold of it, or how does it get a hold of us? What in the world might we do with it if if we ever engaged it? What is the nature of this power in the life of a believer? That's what I want to be digging into in the weeks that are ahead. You say, well, how long of a series is this, Pastor Jeff? I don't know. Oftentimes I don't know, but we're going to be digging in for a while. So the Apostle Paul, he wrote about this power from a really odd place. He wrote about this power from a prison cell. It's kind of a weird thing to be, to be writing about the power of God, the power of resurrection while you're sitting in a prison cell. But that's exactly where he was. He was uh, located uh, and he was writing to the Philippians, which was 
uh, in Greece. Uh, Philippi is in Greece. Uh, it's not the same as Caesarea Philippi that we looked at a few weeks ago in northern Israel, uh, a really kind of horrible place. But Philippi was an amazing church plant. Uh, we see it in Acts chapter 16. And it's 10 years after that, after that church plant, that he writes this letter. I think it's the thing I love about Philippians is 10 years later, he's writing back and saying, here's how I love you. Here are the ways that you are tender in my heart. Here's the ways that I pray for you. And here are the truths that I want you to hear. And Paul was actually addressing a problem, uh, just so that we have context. Um, he, was, he was addressing a problem of those who were coming in and demanding uh, that new believers adhere to different physical works, or works of the flesh, uh, demanding that they uh, live by the law before they could be real Christians and things such as this. And that's where I want to pick up the argument, the statement, uh, as we lead in into uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 10. So we're at uh, Philippians 3, the last half of the fourth verse. And so let's give our full attention to the Word of God as we hear the Lord speak among us uh, in this time after resurrection. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now let's stand and let's thank God for his word and his voice. And God, I thank you for this season in which we celebrate life, we celebrate the victory over death, we celebrate the empty tomb. We celebrate the power of resurrection. God, show us what that means. What it is to know Christ and to know this power. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. 
book of Philippians never actually tells us where Paul was when he was writing this. But most likely, Paul was writing this from a prison in Rome. There's a couple of different options. He just doesn't tell us. And so most scholars and interpreters come to that conclusion. This was written from Rome in about 61 or 62 A.D., which, just so you know, is almost 30 years after his conversion. I want you to let that sink in a little bit, because I think it's really important. Paul had been through a few things <laughs> since that time. I mean, it, it would take us uh, the rest of the night to go through all of the things, the trials and the difficulties that he had experienced. He'd been through a lot of stuff. Second Corinthians chapter 11, Paul recounts that he had been imprisoned numerous times. He, he had had numerous beatings, often near death, um, that he had five times received the 39 lashes. Five times. Once is often enough to kill a man. He had been beaten with rods. He had been stoned and left for dead. He had been shipwrecked, bitten by a snake. I mean, there are all kinds of things that happen. Uh, he's like Indiana Jones, but back in the first century. I mean, all of the things that the Apostle Paul experienced are just are just phenomenal. And he had seen the Holy Spirit. He had seen the power of the Holy Spirit at work uh, like nobody else that we could really point to. You look at Acts chapter 17, and in Ephesus, he had so many miracles happening uh, that finally they, they began to bring handkerchiefs and aprons, and they said, just hold this, just put this on you, because when we take away an apron or a handkerchief that you've been holding, it heals people. The, the power of God is all over this place. So that's what Paul had already experienced, just so we know. And, and in spite of all that, at this point in his life, we hear him making this cry, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. So it tells us something. It tells us that it can take some time. Amen? Yeah. The word that he uses here in verse 10 is really revealing. I mentioned it last weekend. That I may know. And, and uh, the ESV is a little bit different. I'm going to show you why that is and why I think it's important for us to look at it. That I may know. It's the word ginosko. That's the uh, first Greek word of the day. That tells you there's a few more. Okay. So let's say together ginosko. Gnosko. Come on, you can do it. Gnosko. And it means to know absolutely. It means to know by experience, to be aware or to feel or to understand with certainty and with resolve. It's not the same as what we would call the simple head knowledge. It's not like, oh, well, I know about that. Oh, no, way different. In fact, I think it's actually a lot more we talk about head knowledge and heart knowledge. Well, I had some head knowledge about Jesus, and then I got some heart knowledge about Jesus. That's really important. I think this is a depth of heart knowledge that, that goes on and on. And that's what he's talking about, Gnosko. And, and then these two are together, the knowledge and the power. To know Christ and to know the power of his resurrection, these two go together. Let, let me say it this way. You will not know his power without knowing him. Yeah. You're not going to know his power without knowing him. I mean, there were those that tried, hey, I'd like to use his name. Could I borrow his name? I'd like to, oh, that never worked. Doesn't, didn't work then, it doesn't work now. 
And you will not know him without knowing his power in an increasing way. And knowing him involves knowing his kingdom and walking in his ways. And so that's what we're going to be trying to dig into in the weeks that are ahead. But apparently it does not come immediately. It doesn't just happen like that. And yet immediacy is what we tend to want. Boy, I mean we live in the world of immediacy, don't we? And, and I began to do research on this, uh, you know, a couple months ago and thinking about how, how to dig in on this. And, and so I just do some searches, and I was just kind of amazed at all the books out there that say, you can have the power now. You can unleash the power of the resurrection today. Have power by Friday. You know, and it was like these, friends, it doesn't work like that. If it it didn't work for the Apostle Paul like that, I don't think it's going to work for me or, or for you that way. It's something, it's a depth of knowledge that comes over time. That doesn't mean that things can't happen very quickly. And we know that things, some things did happen very quickly, but, but this took some time. And so we need to understand that. Paul was still seeking this knowledge 30 years after his conversion. You know, I was thinking about that uh, this week because uh, pretty soon I'm going to have been a Christian believer for 50 years. I can't believe that. I, I'm approaching that. And... and, and uh, and, and I think about that in, in those years, and I think about how there's a depth of knowing Christ that comes over time. It's never just like that. It's, it's a lifelong journey. And knowing the power of his resurrection, it comes with time. It's not some quick seminar at the Holiday Inn Express. It just isn't. So where do we begin? Where do we start? How do we begin to get a hold of this? And I trust as I look around the room, there are many of you that have been on this journey. You, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But Paul expressed a commitment, a commitment really to seek and to know Christ and to know this power. And, and he understood that knowing Christ and his power involves suffering. We're going to get to that a little bit later. It's engaged with suffering. That's part of it. And, and this is much more than simply I'm going to say this gently, simply receiving his merciful salvation. You know, I, I believe that the, the thief on the cross, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into his kingdom. And he said, you'll be with me today. I think salvation. But Jesus wants so much more for you. I, I don't know quite how to say it except than a ticket. He wants so much more for you. For you to know him, to experience him, all of that gnosko knowledge and the power of his resurrection. So, before we can really understand verse 10, we've got to back up. That's why I read all those other verses. We want to back up. And we want to look at the text in context. Context is so exceedingly important. If you haven't ever learned anything from me in studying the Bible, it's that context is important. In fact, there's sort of a saying that, that is really, really good to, to you know, write it down or have it somewhere. A text without a context is in danger of becoming a proof text. Why don't you read that with me out loud? It's not in scripture, but I think it's very true. A text without a context is in danger of becoming a proof text. In other words, if we just go throughout the Bible and pluck cherries out and just say, oh, I like this cherry and that cherry and this vanilla and that, this is not the way that we build 
uh, a sound understanding of God. So we want to look at the context. And one of the problems with Greek, just so you know, you want a little more Greek lesson, is that Greek uh, has no punctuation whatsoever. If you look at a Greek manuscript, you would just, besides the fact that it looks a little bit strange, if you even understood everything in it and all the words, you would just go, my goodness, how do you translate this? This is because there's no punctuation and it's just on and on and on. And the Apostle Paul was actually known for writing the longest sentences ever written, just huge sentences. And you find them sometimes in the Bible. That's because Greek is what we call an inflected language. That is, every word has a different inflection that tells you how it's being used as a uh, part of speech. So that's the way the translators understand this is being used as noun, this is being used as a verb, this is being used in some other way. And that's, that's why Greek is actually really difficult. You have to memorize all that, okay? I'm not really very good at that. I, I'm good at the basics. But the translators... That, it's hard for them to figure out where do you start and you end sentences. And sometimes it's because of the grammar is telling them this seems to be the end of a thought, and now we'll start a new thought. Sometimes it's because they're pretty sure that's all that your brain can hold right now, so we're going to stop and start a new sentence. And that's kind of what happens here. Modern translations seek to give you just pieces. In fact, many of them, they'll say, this is written for a 6th grade reading level. This is written for a ninth grade reading level. This is written for a 12th grade reading level. Because longer sentences and longer thoughts put together uh, are, are harder for us to grapple with. So the NIV and the New Living Translation, they make a break after, after verse 9. And they make this declarative statement. I want to know Christ. It, it's, it's what I love. And yet it's actually not written that way. That's what I'm going to point out to you. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, NLT. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. The truth is you cannot understand. In fact, you can't even really uh, put the meaning into verse 10 without what came before. That's why we need to look at it. That's why this is the starting point. Experiencing Christ and his power starts really with a life reassessment. That's what Paul's talking about. He, he said he came to a point of setting aside all of his pride and accomplishments. And he had a whole lot of them. He was really blunt about it. You think you think you got a reason to boast? Let me tell you. My resume, and boy, his resume is amazing. If anyone thinks they have a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have a whole lot more. He had this sterling Jewish resume, every obligation fulfilled, a, a, a circumcision on, on the right day of the tribe of Benjamin, Benjamin and Judah were the tribes of tribes that were that remained intact and pure, Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, Pharisees, Pharisees knew the Bible like no, they were the Bible people, they were the word people. He probably, the Apostle Paul probably had memorized the first five books of the Bible. He, he probably could he'd just start anywhere, name it anywhere. He could quote it. He'd just write out. He would come out with it because he was a Pharisee. He had been a zealous persecutor of the church. Well, we say, well, that doesn't sound very good. But in his time, that meant I was opposed to anything that was threatening the truth. 
I was the one. I was the one that was out there opposing the things that I saw that threatened the word, that threatened the truth, that threatened the temple, that threatened God. Of course, I was wrong. But that's why he says that. And ready for it, blameless under the law. I mean, it's a huge statement for anybody to make. Blameless. There's not a single bit of the law. Now, you could start saying, well, what about your heart? What, what about these things that you were doing against these other people? Okay? Well, he came to reckon with that. He had gone through what I'm going to call a revaluation. And, and it's an interesting word, as I just kind of struggle with what words to use. You can say a re-evaluation. What does that mean? It means to reevaluate. It means to take a second look. A revaluation uh, means to revalue things based on really a different currency, like a different economy. Uh, it's the action of accessing the value of something again, assessing the, the value again, the adjustment of value of a currency in relation to a different currency. So this was not a simple rebalancing of the books. Um, th this was a huge thing. And, and he begins to give us the accounting description of it. He says, I count as loss. I count as loss. And he, he's using an accounting term. Are you ready for your next Greek lesson? Okay. This is hegeomai. Say that with me. Hegeomai. Hegeomai means to count, to take accounting of, to esteem. I re-esteemed and I ruled over these things. And he says, those things on the profit side of the ledger, I have moved to the debit side for the sake of Christ. Those things, those accomplishments, those things that I thought were so great, I've moved over to the other side. In fact, we sometimes say, you know, a company will say, we've written that off. Well, that property is no longer worth anything to us. It's only costing us. We've written it off. And that's basically uh, what he's saying here, uh, that it's no longer of any value, no longer of any profit whatsoever. In fact, he goes then further and he says, I count everything as loss. This is huge. Because when we begin to apply it in our lives, it's enormous. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of, listen, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That's bigger than everything. Knowing Christ. It's the biggest thing. Everything in the credit column has been shifted over to the debit side. It's not just that it's not worth as much, but in comparison to knowing Christ, it's not worth anything and I've now declared those things to be a loss. Now, now we're really grappling with a fundamental of grace. We, we start to understand grace in a huge way. Paul wrote about it in his letter to the Galatians, chapter 6. He said, Far be it from, from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only thing I can boast in. I, I, I'm not going to tell you about the great things I've done. I'm not going to tell you about the great studies I've done. I'm not going to tell you about how much I've memorized. Nothing like that. By which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. It reminded me of um, the words written by Isaac Watts in 1707, when I survey the wondrous cross. 
when I survey the wondrous cross uh, on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss. Other side of the ledger. And poor contempt on all my pride. This is the starting point. And, and it's not where people usually want to start. I thought I was going to get the power. <laughs> I, I thought I would, would get some of that. But it's a starting point for knowing the person and the power of Christ. And until we do this work of accounting, I hate to even call it work, but it, it's a process of accounting and revaluation. We're never going to know Christ and His power deeply. The problem is, I think we all recognize, we live in a world largely built on achievement. We just do. We encourage achievement. We encourage ambition. Uh, we, we count our successes in terms of goals and accomplishments. And, and, and we applaud degrees and promotions and affluence and generosity. And let me just say, none of that's bad. None of it's bad. But in light of Christ, it's, it's nothing. In fact, it's loss. And I'll show you what I mean by that. It's not the currency of the kingdom. So Paul, he had these great religious achievements. Um, and, and at the time, Paul thought that he was accomplishing great goals. And he studied like nobody else, saying, this is just the rising star. And uh, in, in his religious observance... He was just top drawer in in terms of all those kinds of things. Now, I I would pause and say, oh, Paul, those things are of such great value because I see today how God used them. This brilliant mind to be able to interpret the the events of Christ's life, to be able to interpret in terms of the law. He wrote these things. Unbelievable. Now, these are inspired by God, but book of Romans, book of Galatians, book of Ephesians, these amazing things that the Apostle Paul wrote. I see his mind at work. He would say, but compared to knowing Christ, they are nothing. In fact, they're really kind of hurtful. And see, in our lives, it's very difficult because we have accomplishments. I have a bunch of accomplishments in life. I mean, if you said, well, well, what are your greatest accomplishments, Pastor Jeff? Um, I I would think of of being married for 42 years. uh, Because that's, uh, we know that's not easy. And it's so important. I realized a long time ago that I knew pastors that had had, uh, jeopardized or or had uh, hurt their marriages in order to serve their ministry. And I, I said, this is not. This is not the way it, it works. Or they had lost their children along the way. And so, uh, you know, and I, and I would think about my children, and I would think about Faith Fellowship Church. But all of these things, in light of the bright grace of Christ, they fade in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. That's the way he puts it. So he he says that all of our accomplishments are lost. Now, here's another Greek word for you. It's ze, it's got a D and a Z, ze, say that with me, ze, okay, ze mi a o, ze mi a o. 
When I say, uh-oh, I think of the three-year-old. When I hear the three-year-old in the other part of the house say, uh-oh, <laughs> it's time to check on things, okay? It means a forfeit or a loss, an injury, a detriment, or a damage. In face, in the face of Jesus, our accomplishments actually tend to injure our relationship with him. This is really, and the reason is because it's so tempting to hang on to them. Our achievements, no matter how benevolent they are, 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 are a detriment, Paul says. See, Paul, he declares right before this part about knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection, he says, I have suffered the loss of all things. I've lost all these things, and I count them as rubbish. It's a really strong word. We'll get to the. He had done a reassessment of these things and considered them, counted them to be rubbish in order that he might gain Christ and be found in him. Nothing is more important. Doesn't mean that God won't use those things. Now, he used an interesting word. It's the word skubalon, uh, is translated rubbish. It's a, it's a really interesting word uh, because it's translated as either refuse or rubbish or dung. That which is thrown to the dogs is, is actually in the dictionary garbage. Uh, in, in a way, it could be translated as dog droppings, okay? Um, there's another word uh, for this that means uh, big heaps of this, and it's the word copria. But this is uh, a, 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 a dropping or a, a refuse, a rubbish that's thrown away. And you can remember this by, just think of Scooby-Doo, and you'll remember Scoobalon. Okay? Now, I know I ruined the cartoon for some of you, and I apologize. But that, that's how he views, he says, these things, these degrees I earned uh, studying in Jerusalem, studying under the masters of, of, the, of the word of that day, uh, all of these uh, achievements that I had, I count as rubbish. Wow. And so we begin to realize in verse 9 that the goal in life is to be found in him alone. That's how he states it. Not having a righteousness of my own, not having a righteousness that comes from the law, not having any of those, but having a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. That alone. Faith alone. This righteousness from God, it's a righteousness that depends on faith. We don't earn it by faithing, okay? But that's the way we access it. It's not even a righteousness that comes because of our faith, but it is a righteousness that we engage only by faith. And now we get to verse 10. All of that. And now we get to verse 10. And it reads a little differently in the ESV. The ESV is very exact, and let me tell you, it's very true to the Greek. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That's huge. The ESV is a a, a literal translation. And and the verse 10 flows out of these previous thoughts. Let me just read it to you again. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that from God that depends on faith, that I may know him. That's how it reads. 
and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. What I want us to come away with this weekend is we really cannot afford to miss that that. It's really important. And there's actually a word. I had to look it up. I thought, well, is this just a difference in a translator interpretation? No, there's a word there. It's the word to. And it's a Greek word. It's an article. It joins together two thoughts. You can't have ten without nine. And, and eight. And seven. And six. It, it's all part of a flow. So this is where we start. If we want to grasp and be grasped to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, this is where it starts. It starts in a time of revaluation, taking a look at ourselves and saying, are there things that I have lifted up? Are there accomplishments that I have? Maybe that I haven't offered to God. That, that I really need to count as lost because they stand in the way of me knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection, really knowing him, writing off some of the things that we have valued greatly but are a loss in comparison to knowing Christ. I remember when we, when we were called to plant Faith Fellowship Church, there was a lot of revaluation that went on at that time. And, uh, and we were just looking at things very differently and saying, okay, where does God want us to be? And I just said, I'll do anything uh, that you want me to do, God. I, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I will do anything in this town now that you have us here that you want us to do. And, and I remember just, uh, you know, because I've got a whole bunch of, of accomplishments that are on my wall in my office. And I just put them in boxes, and they stayed in the garage for several years, partly because I didn't really have an office yet. But, um, but also because I, I realized this is not what it's about. Why do I have them on my wall now? Because sometimes it opens a door. Every once in a while there's someone that says, I want to sit with someone that has studied. Okay, well, let's open that door and let's talk. But let me tell you, that is not the reason that I sit with Christ, the reason that I am in his presence, the reason that he has claimed me. So let me ask you this question as we sort of begin this, this study, this series. Where are you in your resurrection journey? Because that's what I want us to, to be about in the weeks that are ahead. Do you want to know Christ, know Christ in the depth in every way? Do you want to know his power? Because they go together. It starts with a time of accounting. We might think, well, didn't I do that during Holy Week? Probably so. But it doesn't start and stop there. <laughs> Reexamining the things that we have counted as credit and looking at them in the light of Christ and all that he's done at this critical point in our journey. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that you have made a way for us by your grace to know you in Christ and to experience a knowledge of you in Christ that is beyond anything we ever could have imagined. I give thanks for that. And God, I 
I pray that in these moments and in these days that are ahead, that we might do revaluation. We might look at everything in our lives, the things that may have stood as a barrier to you deepening your involvement, your walk, your knowledge in me. Lord, I pray that that you would remove those things, revalue those things in my heart. God, we thank you that you are so very patient with us. It may be that you've come to this time and, and you've realized that you really have never begun this journey, and now would be the wonderful time to begin this journey. And you say, God, I don't know all of what this is about, but I do want to know Christ, and I want to know the power of His resurrection. And so I come before you to confess my need. I come before you to confess my sin. I come before you to ask you in. If you pray a prayer like that, It's amazing the change that begins to happen. It may take 30 years, it may take 50 years, but it's a journey. It's an amazing and wonderful journey. And God, we give thanks for that. In Jesus' name.